Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Phil Orlando joins us, Chief Equity Market Strategist, also Head of Client Portfolio Management at Federated Hermes. Phil, what's your take on this uh, jobs miss? It was a huge miss, uh, you know, at uh, uh, 235,000 versus the 733 consensus. But I got to tell you, our number at Federated, we were forecasting 490,000. So the number we thought was going to be a huge miss. Okay, your follow up question is well, how do we you know? You got to be that? closest without going over, Phil. That's the rule. There are, there are three key model inputs uh, in our labor model, two of them are weak. The ADP report for August missed by 250,000 jobs. The Philly Fed was very soft. It missed by four points. The third model input is the claims data, and frankly, that's been pretty good. But when you, when you, and there was also a seasonal adjustment that was negative by 77,000 in this report. So when you work back the seasonal adjustment plus the upside revisions in June and July, that comes to uh, and uh, uh, sort of a clean number, if you will, of 446,000. We were forecasting 490. So basically, we were there. Um, I think that the miss that we saw today will be reversed in September. Mm. That number is going to be reported on uh, Friday, October 8th. And, and the, the key factor there is the roll off of the $300 federal unemployment bonus. Folks are going to be coming back to work, in our view, uh, and particularly in that leisure and hospitality category that showed bagel in the month of August, which was very surprising. Yeah. That- well, and we know, of course, that those benefits, that extra $300 week, expire September 6th. I believe that that is Monday. Phil, what this means for the markets, though, I'm wondering, is a September taper by the Federal Reserve off the table? Well, in our view, it was always off the table because we were expecting this number to miss. We think the September number to be reported in early October will be very strong, north of a million jobs. So we expect the Fed to announce that taper at their FOMC meeting on November 3rd. That's been our forecast. We're, we're, we're holding to that right now. What, uh, it, it, when we see tech stocks sort of holding us back from bigger losses and um, a sell-off in bonds, what does that say to you? Well, a sell-off the, is probably a strong the, the word. The sell-off but see, in bonds, yeah. in our view, tells us that the market is reading through the, the hiccup on this number and that we're going to get the labor market back on pace later in the year. The Fed will announce the taper later in the year, we think in November, not in September. And so the bond market, I think, is looking ahead and sort of pricing that in. Uh, but clearly, you've, you've had a slowdown in, in growth here. Uh, and the fact that technology stocks are doing well tells us that the market is saying, okay, I've got to look for a place where I'm going to get growth, regardless of how good or how bad the underlying economy is. And, and, and tech has been a place where that's been reliable over the last 18 months. Phil, or is it rates are going to be somewhat anchored because the Fed has made a point and a distinction between a taper and a rate hike? Correct. 
Is that what you also see moving tech? We, we, we absolutely see that. But we, we eventually, the, the Fed, if, if, if we're right that the Fed starts the taper before the end of this year, let's say they started in November, we think it's going to be a relatively short taper, that by the middle of calendar 22, the $140 billion QE will have been tapered down to zero. That sets the Fed up to begin to increase interest rates in calendar 23, we're looking for two quarter-point rate hikes, take the funds rate up by 50 basis points. So you, you've got to be able to sort of read the cycle. That's the way we think this is playing out. And I think the, the, the technology sector is saying, okay, if for whatever reason, Delta variant, uh, economic policy, Fed policy, whatever, the economy takes a tick down here, um, we're still going to get some good growth out of the technology names. How far can we get off the ground? I mean, what do you see as a terminal rate, Phil? Uh, in terms of interest rates, yeah. So, uh, how, how I mean, two two hikes bringing us to fifty basis points. That's still basically you know zerp, right? So when when can we see real rises? Well, so our our forecast on on benchmark tens, we think we get maybe back to one seventy five this year. 2% next year, maybe 2.5% in, in calendar 23. You know, that seems like a big number knowing we were at 50 basis points a year ago. But in the overall scheme of life, 2.5% on benchmark 10 year Treasury yields two years from now is not death. That ought to continue to support a strong equity market. And in fact, our S&P 500 forecast by the end of next year is still up at the 5,300 level. And, and we're sitting here at, you know, let's call it 4,500. So you've still got some good growth in stocks, not the 107% we've seen over the last 18 months, but the equity market ought to continue to do well, certainly outpacing the bond market. Phil, you talked about cycles a little bit, and I want to hit on this point. I'm trying to nail down some of our market participants on where we are in this cycle. If it's early phase, are you thinking that there's more room to run in the smaller caps? When is the transition to mid to late, and are we there yet? So, so small caps value stocks and international stocks are still the three areas that we're focused on here because we think there are still some outsized gains coming. But when you, when you take a step back and look at the bigger cycle, the economic growth that we're going to enjoy this year, we think will slow into calendar 22 and will slow again into calendar 23. Not to recessionary levels, but we think more to sort of more trend line levels. It, our early guess on calendar 23 is GDP growth, you know, in that sort of 2 to 3% neighborhood. Now, calendar 24 and beyond is going to be a function of how draconian is Fed policy over the next year or two, fiscal policy with, with Congress and the Biden administration. And right now, those are question marks. We don't know what's going to happen there. Um, but based upon what we think we know right now, the economy does decelerate back to trend line over the next couple of years, but not into recession. So that's not so bad. Let me take this in a slightly different direction. We had a, an op-ed by Joe Manchin. Was it just last night? It feels like days ago, but it, just yesterday, I think. Yes. Um, saying, you know, $28 trillion is too much, and we can't be adding to that deficit. He's concerned about all kinds of issues. Are you? We're, we're absolutely on board with Senator Manchin. That, that If I could fill in some of the blanks, we now know definitively, based upon the NBER, 
the National Bureau of Economic Research, that the, the, law, the shortest and deepest recession in history ended April a year ago. We had this powerful V-bottom economic recovery that started last summer. We, we, we know definitively that we have closed the output gap in GDP with the second quarter GDP report this year. So we don't need another $5.5 trillion of stimulus to sort of prop up the economy. We're back to where we need to be. Now, what I think Senator Manchin said is, is the, the question here is not propping up the economy. It's, it's sort of reordering the social contract between the federal government and the American people. That's a completely different argument. And, and it's one that I guess the Biden administration and Congress is going to have to make that argument to the American people. But, but from an economic standpoint, we don't need $5.5 trillion of additional debt, higher taxes, et cetera, to resuscitate the economy because the economy is doing fine. Are your clients asking you, though, about higher taxes and the impact on the markets? Yes, absolutely. I, I just did two client great meetings. Great question. Yeah. Connecticut earlier this week, and and that was that was those were the questions. Uh, higher debt levels, higher taxes, higher servicing of the debt. Uh, what does that mean to us as as investors, and what should we be doing to protect ourselves? Buying Bitcoin, water. Uh, and building oh. and building yourself a fallout shelter. That was not my answer, but one client <laughs> did jump out and talked about, you know, ammunition and canned goods in the basement. You know, I'm not going there either. Um, but but I, I almost went there, but I didn't say it out loud. It, it is it is an uncertain time for for clients and investors who are out there trying to figure out what all this means. Yeah, especially since you can't be in the basement if you live in the Northeast, right? It's completely flooded. Oh. Too soon, Matt. And you also well, missed NFTs in there. NFTs are also this, this new thing after after NFTs Bitcoin, are a little though. crazy. I mean, I'm just talking about what you need in case Armageddon comes. I, you could throw gold in there for Bitcoin, but you you have to have more and more people, even though we don't see it, Phil, getting bearish, right? At least at least hedging, hedging bearish. Do you have a lot of people hedging? Well, I, I'm, I'll put myself in that category that, that yes, we've got a 4,800 target on the S&P 500 this year, the end of this year. But we're also acknowledging the fact that, that we're sitting here at record highs now. I think we hit our 54th record high the other day. And we've got all of these fiscal and monetary policy headwinds ahead of us, the debt ceiling, questions about the jobs report, economic growth, the Delta variant, et cetera. Could we see a 5 or a 10% air pocket over the next couple of months? you know, back to, let, let's call it the 200-day moving average. I, I mean, that's very possible. Now, we would look at that as a, as a potential buying opportunity right. yep. if we can get some of these issues resolved. But, but I, I, I'm not going to suggest that the market's going to go straight up, you know, to 5,300 next year without any consolidation in between now and then. No, no but it, how but, do you compete with the wall of cash that's flooding? Anytime you get a little bit of a dip and we could fold this over into high-yield spreads, the minute it goes above 300 basis points over treasuries, a wall of cash comes in. You wake up, you have a million emails from Japan. They, they can't wait to buy bonds that aren't negative interest rates. How do you compete with that? Well, it, it, it's very hard to compete with, and, and that's not to suggest that we're on the precipice of a, of a bear market. We're not. But when I talk about an air pocket, these things are relatively short-lived, and, and maybe it's because 
for example, the debt ceiling issue becomes a, a near-term hot potato, or uh, suddenly it seems that this $5.5 trillion package uh, in Congress is, is going to get the votes and we're going to double capital gains tax rates or something like that. Um, so you, and when you're talking about an air pocket, you're talking about the market moving lower for you know a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Uh, but I think by the time we get back into the end of October, beginning of November, sort of work through, you know, the Fed is going to make that announcement, we think, on November 3rd. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has established a September 27th vote date for a couple of these pieces of legislation. By the time we get into early November, uh, we're hoping that we'll have some answers to some of these questions. Remember when TARP seemed like an insanely large amount of money, like just uh, unbelievable that they could spend 800 billion dollars and now it's a drop in the bucket i i want to ask you something about a point that kriti gupta made earlier she said she doesn't talk to a lot of investors who are really long term putting money down long term you know uh for more like five to ten years or ten to twenty years it's more of a near term to medium term um investment horizon do you see that as well no, I, I don't. I, I, there are certainly investors who are nervous about navigating the near-term uh, you know, challenges, but I think if you're going to invest in the market for, for college savings, retirement savings, whatever, you've got to be thinking longer term. And, and the reality is that, that America is, is the greatest nation in the world and the greatest financial markets in the world. We're investing throughout the entire world. Companies produce positive earnings. Stock prices follow those earnings. Uh, eventually, we're going to uh, stabilize with, with better fiscal and monetary policies that we'll be able to project out into the future. And, and as you're looking out, you know, over the decades, um, you know, an 8 to 12 percent normalized positive return out of stocks on a total return basis is a reasonable assumption. Um, and, and so, again, as you're thinking retirement, college savings, those sort of good, longer-term goals, um, the equity market is the place where you need to be. All right. Great to get some insight with you, Phil. Always love hearing from you. Phil Orlando, Chief Equity Market Strategist and Head of Client Portfolio Management at Federated Hermes. They've got a total of I think about $650 billion um, under management, but $100 billion and change in equities alone. So great to hear from Federated Hermes and Phil Orlando. Let's get over right now to uh, talk about the aftermath of, I saw it described as ex-Hurricane Ida. You know, hurricane or storm um, doesn't really matter because it did so much damage traveling up from New Orleans and hitting the New York, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, the tri-state area really hard. Um, what uh, what are we seeing in terms of damage? What are we seeing in terms of the aftermath here for that? I want to bring in um, a Bloomberg reporter on this to give us the latest. Skylar Woodhouse joins us. Um, and Skylar, I heard a, 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 a factoid today. Not sure if it's true. I heard that more rain was dropped in an hour than ever had been recorded in that area before. Is that the case? Yeah, no, that is the case. Definitely. I mean, you know, I was in my apartment and I, I could hear the rain outside and I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, it's really coming down. But no, the rain, it came through and it really ransacked the city and it left a lot of people confused and just in utter shock, really, to what just happened in really such a short amount of time. And it was something that, you know, no one could have expected to really cause such such great 
damage and to see the um the what the storm did to the city it, it just left so many people in complete shock and confusion as well people are just really confused yes. as to what just happened Skylar that is sort of hints at my next question this isn't our first rodeo with aftermaths of hurricanes why were we so caught off guard yeah you know I think after you know I think this the city did a lot of repairs after Hurricane Sandy years ago but I think you know t- time is moving things are quickly changing you know climate change is presenting a whole set of new challenges and I think this this rain just came completely out of nowhere and just left everyone just so at loss as to why weren't we prepared and you know what could have been done different to prevent such a catastrophe that we really saw and it just raised a lot of questions as to what will the city and Albany do to prevent something like this from happening again. Now, the tri-state area is not exactly um, a red tri-state area, so I, I don't know if it swings any voters, but um, h- how do you think people feel about the in- the infrastructure bill now, considering what we just saw happen? I mean, I think people's eyes have—I think people have definitely, you know, maybe perked up a bit and are, you know, maybe paying a little bit more attention now um, after what we saw in the tri-state area. I mean— you could say up here, you know, it, it definitely leans, you know, it's definitely more blue. But, you know, so I think it's leaving people to just definitely pay way more attention to, um, you know, climate change and how the infrastructure bill could possibly um, improve some of the downfalls that we saw were impacted from the hurricane through this bill. And it's definitely made people realize that this is something that needs to be taken seriously. All right, Skylar, thanks so much for joining us. Skylar Woodhouse, Bloomberg News reporter on the aftermath of Hurricane Ida and New York City's worsening weather patterns. Let's let's get back to the corporate world right now. We got a great guest for you. Tom Bone is the president and CEO of the Association for Corporate Growth. They have a huge network, 90,000 mid-market corporate executives, all um, running companies that are between 10 million in market cap and a billion, or 10 million in, I guess, revenue per year and, and a billion in revenue uh, per year. And it's just a, a, a great place to get a picture of what's happening in the return to work. They have about 30 million jobs um, that they control. Tom, what do you think here as we, as we round out, uh, what are we now uh, 19 months, uh, 20 months through the pandemic. Um, are we getting back to work or is there going to be something new ahead of us? Hey, great to talk to you both. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, we did a survey of about 125 middle market companies on what they thought the future would look like. And what's interesting about this survey is it happened, it coincided just before we started to get to the peak of what Delta was looking like. So it, it probably... I think that if, if the results happened a little bit later, they'd even be more significant. But what we heard back loud and clear was that 78% of the respondents said that they were going to come back to a work environment that was very different. And they said it would probably be hybrid, which hybrid model looks at, you know, coming into the office two or three days a week and then having much more flexible opportunities to work from home or God knows where, where people are working from today. But it was interesting, though, because this was prior to the to the variant surge, and 
uh, we had at least, you know, two-thirds saying, yeah, it's going to be different. We're not going back to the way things used to be. Interesting. If you go back, at least in some portion to the office, what does that look like? Are you hearing that more of these companies are either doing testing or asking for vaccination status? Well, it's a great question. And what we're finding in our data is that the uh, vaccine mandates are actually very much uh, aligned with kind of the uh, political geography of the country. So in the southeast, we're not seeing very many political mandates in the Northeast and uh, out towards parts of the Midwest and certainly on the on the far West Coast, we're seeing a much more willingness and likelihood to have uh, vaccine mandates in place. And uh, barring that, um, the flexibility comes in that they have to be tested, you know, a minimum of one, sometimes multiple times a week, which can become very, very onerous. But it's definitely different than uh, it was prior to all this happening. Beyond um, the virus, beyond the pandemic, what are your uh, member executives most concerned about? What are the biggest challenges that they're facing? Uh, Number one right now is labor, 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 Mm -hmm. getting the right employees and getting them uh, on time, uh, you know, uh, to to fill the positions that they need. I keep hearing from everyone. They just simply cannot hire. We just saw the jobs report come out today, and I think it was 225,000 uh, new jobs, and they were expecting 700-something thousand. And the Delta uh, they're talking about is simply the lack of people entering or re-entering uh, the labor force. And, you know, we're seeing it certainly from our organization. Our members uh, are saying it over and over, is that trying to get quality people uh, in, in every type of position right now uh, is, is incredibly difficult. And <clears throat> But the hope is, and I think, you know, if you look at the survey that we, we put out there, is that, Employees want the flexibility to work from home. They're saying loud and clear, we cannot go back to the way things used to be, right? That is their strong hope. So Mm -hmm. the hope is that with some of this cultural change now, with this hybrid and this flexible environment, that they're able to attract more employees. So I look at ACG. We have now a completely distributed organization. We have over 56 uh, employees. But what's amazing is that we are all over the U.S. So we can hire in any community across the country, and that's given us a significant advantage. Just about 30 seconds here. Is there a skills mismatch? I, I You know, I don't know that it's much of a, as a skill mismatch as it is a simply a lack of uh, willing and able bodies to jump into the, to the fray. I mean, it, it's, it's, a lot of the jobs before we used to have a problem hiring were in the tech sector or mm. you know, technical type skills. These are generally across the board, middle management, other types of managerial jobs, but people simply marketing jobs, social media jobs, having a really tough time finding, uh, finding the, the folks to take those positions. All right. Interesting. I wish we had more time with you, Tom. I hope we can get you back on the program because um, we, your network, I just love to tap you for more insight. Uh, there's so much we can learn. And we didn't even get to talk about cybersecurity, which which is something that we think about a lot as well. Tom Bone there is the CEO and president of the Association for Corporate Growth. All right. And it is kind of a special uh, episode, a little bit of a special day because of the big non-farm payroll jobs miss we had. Again, um, just got, I think, 235. Is it 235,000 is what we added? Um, i got to pull up my Eco US screen again. Yeah, we added 235,000 jobs. We were looking for 733,000. So um, a huge miss. And compared to the previous month, 
you know, the original number we got was 943,000. That was revived, revised up to more than a million, 1.053. So um, really uh, apparent that the Delta variant um, really crept into the economy since the last report. Let's bring in Tom Gimbel. He's the founder and CEO of LaSalle Network in Chicago. It's one of the leading staffing and recruiting firms in the country. And Tom, uh, was this a surprise to you? I thought it was going to be a little bit higher. I didn't think it was going to be 700,000. I thought it'd be about 450 or five. You know, I think we have to look at this. We have the Delta variant. We have the situation with school districts fighting with state governments. Um, and we have the dispute over booster shots and, and initial vaccines. And we still added almost a quarter of a million jobs. This is, it's not, it might not be a grand slam, but it sure as heck isn't a strikeout. I think one thing that really uh, hit people is that the leisure and hospitality sector didn't add any jobs. Uh, how are you thinking about a sector by sector? Who's asking for staffing and, and who was saying they're asking for it, but the supply is the real issue? Well, I think the supply is the real issue around every industry. What we're seeing right now is that, and I know you guys talk about it all the time, is that the number of jobs versus the number of available workers for the first time ever are outpacing one another. So I think you have that issue. You have in the restaurant space, I was having uh, lunch the other day with the CEO of a major restaurant group in Chicago, and he was saying he could hire 300 people if he could find them. So what you've got is this transition, and, and we still haven't had the, the influx of people who are on federal unemployment and we should see that in the September job, the October report on the September jobs numbers. So I just think, I, I really believe that the jobs numbers in the economy overall is more like a racetrack. You, you, you have the straightaways where you're getting really fast, and then you, have, you go slow down around the corners. And we've got change of seasons, the Delta variant. We added a quarter of a million jobs. This isn't a bad thing because mm. you can't go, you know, 200 miles an hour all the time. And we're getting used to new things. We saw the education sector drop and, and not adding jobs. And, and the seasonal aspect is real. Yeah, and it's a flag-to-flag race also with this um, virus and variants forcing us to pit and drop the slicks, yep. add some rain tires. What? what there you uh, go. <laughs> when, do we, when do we get back up to speed again on dry tarmac? Well, I, I, my, my guess is, is that we're going to get through the end of the year and we're going to see the Delta variant level off. Is what I'm talking to, to people like you guys are and everybody else's. And what it seems like is we've got a, a rehash of, of the, the most vulnerable are the ones getting hospitalized. And that might be people who aren't vaccinated and people who are older and or have chronic illnesses or obesity. And that's not overall and overall arching, but that seems to be where the numbers are going. And then it's going to level off. What I haven't seen at all, and I'm talking to CEOs and heads of HR every single day, is that companies are still hiring in mass. They can't find people for certain areas. And I think what we're also starting to see is, and not that other countries aren't having, are having problems with it, but you're seeing a lot, a lot of companies go to offshoring because if they can't find the workers mm. here, they're going to find them someplace else. And that just doesn't get reported in the statistics. I got to tell you that we have uh, – so the state of Saxony has so few workers that not only are they um, writing letters to Polish immigrants that couldn't stay in the U.K. after Brexit to please move to Saxony – but they are um, preparing refugee programs 
uh, that will get refugees straight into trainee positions for like electromechanical mm-hmm. jobs. Yeah. They well, need desperately to have new workers in these sort of engineering, electrical mechanic, and then oh. anything anything like plumbing, you know, or any trades. They need people. Beyond belief. And the other thing you have to realize is we're also hitting maybe hopefully a climax, but, but of where uh, immigration is south of the border. For the past five years, four and a half years, it's been stop the influx of immigrants from the border, and whether illegal or legal, slow it down and – and, and so guess what happens? All of a sudden, you don't have people to do the work that a lot of people would, would normally do who are coming in. So you've got the pandemic, and you've got seasonality, and you've got immigration issues, and you've got federal unemployment at, at the highest it's ever been, right? So all of those things at the same time with the Delta variant, and we've just got a little bit of people saying, hold on, I'm not sure where I want to work or what I can do. And I also think the other thing is that six months ago, eight months ago, employees thought, I'm going to be able to work from home and work remote and work from the beach for the rest of my life. And with, uh, with the vaccine becoming readily available, corporations are saying, hold on here. Mm. We're not going to go 100% back, but we are going to be hybrid, and we're going to want people to be close to the office. So you just have a lot of people figuring out what the new normal is going to be. Can you quickly talk to us about what you're hearing about wages? What are companies telling you? I was going to ask the exact same thing. Wow. And we, we saw, well, no, because I'm looking at the eco page here, yep. looking at the numbers. Yep. Average hourly earnings were up 4.3%. That's more than the street was looking for. Um, that's year over year. The month over month, 0.6%. That's double what the street was looking for, Tom. Yeah, so so on the hourly side, it's a big bump. What we're seeing is, uh, number one, municipalities, Chicago being one, San Francisco being another, that are now up to $15 an hour. And the surrounding counties around those cities had to up it as well to make sure that they could uh, match what the cities are doing. So you're finally getting a catch-up right there, number one. Number two, when you have the summer open up, you have more people going into the service industries, even though the numbers don't show an ad there. But you do have more people doing hourly work at an increased minimum wage. And then you have the search for for people in in a very desolate market right now. So companies are paying more that can afford it, and they're paying instead of $15, $17, $18, $19 an hour. So that's on the hourly side. On the salary side, on the white-collar aspect, you're seeing companies that need to get people, and, and technology is driving it. So when you see technology and even accounting and finance, which now has a technology element, marketing, which now has a technology element with Google Analytics and, and different software packages, even sales positions, they expect you to have a, a software knowledge and a, an analytical brain more than ever before to do that. So we're seeing companies start to pay more. However, I don't think that'll increase at a rapid rate and it'll level off towards the end of the year because when there's a supply and demand issue, what you have is companies reverting to hiring entry-level people. And when you do that, salaries don't increase at yeah. the same pace. We, well, well, we have more and more uh, companies that are offering – higher wages. In fact, I saw, uh, we have a a newsletter, the Daybreak newsletter that I read, usually first thing in the morning, and there's a chart in there from the NFIB today. Um, I actually have the chart, I had the chart produced on the Bloomberg terminal. So if you have a terminal, you can type type G hashtag BTV space 4321. You got that, Taylor? I do. 
I actually like the number because it's a countdown. G hashtag BTV 4321. And what this chart shows you is two panels. Um, the top one shows you that there are more job openings. Well, more firms have job openings than ever before. The chart goes back to the 70s. So small businesses need workers. And um, more firms are offering pay raises to get people through the door than mm -hmm. ever before, at mm -hmm. least since the 70s uh, or 80s when the chart started. So, Tom, it looks like not only do a lot more firms need people, but a lot more firms are willing to pay more at this point now to bring them through the door. Well, they're also paying more to their existing staff, and that also doesn't get uh, projected in the data. And this has been a problem that I've had with the BLS statistics for forever, is that it only tracks new hires and salary wages where we have employees that get promotions internally. They may not go into effect for a quarter. They may not go into effect. They may be bonus-driven and incentivized that way. So I, salaries are increasing, and we're focusing with more and more of our clients to say, you've got to start re-recruiting your existing staff so they don't leave and paying those people more, and that also affects the market. Matt, it's interesting. We await, um, of course, we know that we're waiting uh, the president to come speak about this jobs report. Uh, Tom, I am curious if you, you know, could hear one thing, uh, what would it be, uh, Matt? Although I think the president is walking out now. Oh, Matt. well, then we're going to have to thank Tom. Uh, really great talking to you, Tom. Always, always good to get your take. Tom Gimbel, founder and CEO of LaSalle Network. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.